Don't think of them printing currency as inflation. Think of it as your currency getting devalued. I am a husband, a father, a lawyer, a Christian, and a proud Canadian. I started this series because it was clear that our nation needs truth. Not just another biased narrative, but real information of substance. We need access to facts and the freedom to think for ourselves. I'm Leighton Gray, and this is Gray Matter. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Gray Matter. Well, are you worried about your money, about the safety and security of it? Are you concerned about things you're hearing in the news about the disappearance of of cash? Well, if you're like many Canadians, you are concerned about these things. And I read a story just this morning. Israeli President Benjamin Netanyahu has uh, has actually published something online saying that digital ID is now being expanded. There are plans to expand this into the into the financial and banking world. Well, we have a gentleman on the show today who is an Alberta a banker uh, who's been working very, very steadily in this space for a few years. And he's uh, he's spearheading something called Bow Valley Credit Union. And I'm sure that many of our listeners will be very, very uh, excited to learn more about this. And his name is Brett Olin. He's the CEO of Bow Valley Credit Union, or we'll call it BVU. Welcome to the show, Brett. It's great to have you on. Oh, thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. Uh, we've tried to schedule this before, but hopefully we can uh, make it work this time. <laughs> yes, you you travel a lot. You're you're like that old that old Western show, Have Gun Will Travel. Uh, and I noticed you've been on uh, a lot of podcasts lately. So uh, let's introduce you properly to the people listening and watching. Uh, Brett is the CEO and president of, of Bow Valley Credit Union, a uh, position he has held for the past four years. Before his current role, uh, Brett served on the board of directors of Credit Union Central uh, of Alberta for seven years. And he was also on the board of directors of Bow Valley Credit Union for six years with two years as their chair. He has a Bachelor of Commerce from the University of Calgary as a Chartered Professional Accountant. Uh, he also holds an ICD-D uh, Institute of Corporate Directors designation from Rotman University of Toronto. We won't hold that against him. With over 20 years of experience in the banking industry, Brett is a highly respected leader in the field. And he's going to be able to tell us a lot about some of the things that I mentioned off the top of the show. But before we dive in, as we always do, going to start off with some of our framing uh, quotations again these are always selected in the guests honor Brett please don't be offended but we, we want to get people a sense of where we're going with the conversation the first one is from um, I think the world's number one enemy right now at least for right-thinking people and that's Klaus Schwab who was born in 1938 in Nazi Germany his father was high-ranking Nazi official who's and uh, Klaus said in one of his books I, I believe it was the fourth industrial revolution the pandemic represents a rare but narrow window of opportunity to reflect, reimagine, and reset our world. Next is some, from somebody less known, but I, I think is going to become more well-known to many Canadians because he's ascending in the Liberal Party of Canada. His name is Mark Carney, uh, and he, he's someone who's been very involved in world banking. He, he said this, just as any revolution eats its children, unchecked market fundamentalism can devour the social capital essential for the long-term dynamism of capitalism itself. Translation, capitalism eats itself. 
His solution is, of course, uh, socialism. And finally, from our deputy prime minister and our finance minister, although she doesn't seem to realize what that latter title means, who wrote, political decisions helped to create the super elite in the first place. And as the economic might of the super elite class grows, so does its political muscle. That's Christian Freeland. And finally, from today's guest, a more rational quotation, he says, daily direct government access to all your financial records should be something all Canadians are concerned about. This type of access to information starts Canada down a path of counties with dictatorships. Similar to the separation of church and state, there should be a separation of government from the commercial business sector. Amen. Well, Brett, uh, again, thanks so much for being with us today. I want to start maybe with a little bit of your history. I note that um, back in December of 2018, you resigned as the CEO of the Peter and Catherine White Foundation after many years of dedicated service. And uh, I take it that was to focus all of your energy onto this new this new endeavor that you've been involved in over the past four years, and that's Bull Valley Credit Union. Yeah, that, that's correct. I, I was with uh, the Peter and Catherine White Foundation for, for about eight years as their CEO. I've, I have a keen interest in history, um, which sort of, believe it or not, helps a lot in this role today. Um, and, and there was a big focus with, with that. And uh, yeah, it, you're exactly right that there were new challenges that uh, needed to be tackled and I couldn't do it uh, from the chair of, of a foundation. So um, moved back into the banking role. I was in the banking world uh, for a considerable amount of time before that, uh, but uh, decided to take up the charge uh, as, as the leader of Bull Valley Credit Union. So what was it that attracted you to, I know you had been involved on the board of Bow Valley for a while, but what was it that attracted you to the CEO position? Did you have a vision when you took the job of, of what you wanted to do, what you wanted to accomplish? Um, at the time, uh, th this was prior to the pandemic. Um, you know, I, I think anybody that, that is sort of awake now has gone down a path. Um, and, and it's taken many, many years in some cases. Um, probably my, my journey really started uh, back in 2008, just after the great financial crisis. I had a real sense of something isn't right. Um, and I think um, there were movements back then and protests back then of... Um, uh, I think they called it, we are not the one percenters. Um, right. And it's, it was a group of, of the population that could sense something was wrong, but really couldn't put their finger on it. Um, right. Ironically, I think a lot of the people that were sort of in that camp are now in different camps, um, sort of more left-leaning. Um, but... Uh, I think they were really onto something when they recognized that the some of the biggest banks in the world were bailed out um, by the general public uh, with, with printing currency and, and basically handing over to the, the biggest commercial banks in the U.S. So we had a, another guest on the show recently named Richard Vague. You might know that name is a someone who's uh, in the American banking world and and like you. 
uh, he had something of a of a paradigm shift around 2008 with the banking crisis. Uh, Richard has written a series of books, and he was a re recent guest on our show, and he talked about something that was kind of a revelation to me, and I've been wanting to ask you about it because I know you're very steeped in this in this world. Uh, Richard says that although that uh, although we hear a lot about you know the dangers of public debt in Canada, I think our national debt is about 1.3 trillion as we speak, or sixty thousand dollars for every man, woman, and child. Richard says that historically, the greater concern, both domestically and globally, is escalation of private debt. He says this is the real, real thing that's driving a lot of the financial uh, problems that people are seeing uh, in their daily lives in terms of affordability. Do you agree with that assessment? And he, he actually talks about, he went as far as to say that he thinks that the escalation of private debt is actually the seeds of destruction of the Chinese economy. Do you, do you want to comment on that? I'd be interested to know your thoughts. Sure. Yeah, I, I would agree with that comment. I, I know U.S. figures a little bit better than I know Canadian figures, just because when you're dealing with the biggest kid on the block, it, it generally toes around the rest of the world. But um, I read some statistics where between public and private debt, it was almost 600% of, of GDP of the United States. Incredible. So the, the, the U.S. GDP um, is significant in, in the trillions of dollars. I don't know the number off the top of my head, but when you start getting into those types of numbers, you can't earn enough quickly enough to be able to service the debt is, right. is part of the problem. And in, in the public realm, um, the public debt, the, the U.S. debt is, is almost at uh, $33.5 trillion, which is up from $33 trillion just two weeks ago. Um, and so when you start dealing with that amount of debt with the interest rates rising today, you get into a place called fiscal dominance where you have to print currency to service the debt. Um, and I, I, I think uh, Richard's bang on with that, especially in, in the private um, sphere as well, because we, we see a lot of pain in today's economy and, and people have absorbed massive mortgages with, with the intention of paying them and with the ability to service them at lower debt um, or interest rates. But when, when those interest rates renew, and I think a lion's share due in about two and a half to three years, um, in some cases, their, their mortgage payments triples or quadruples um, from, from the rates that they've had before. Um, so it, it, in my mind, it's almost like a slow motion train wreck being able to watch this. And I think the governments have recognized this in the past and, and during COVID, um, injected masses amounts of money in, into the economy to prevent something like that. Um, the private debt basically collapsing on itself. But part of the problem is that you're just kicking the can down the road and yeah. eventually it's going to come up again. Um, I'm not smart enough to understand when or where that's going to happen. Um, I have some pretty good ideas, but eventually... Uh, the governments are going to have to basically eject, inject more liquidity into the to the markets. And, and what I term a sovereign debt crisis is going to happen where the public debt 
eclipses the ability to pay for it. So maybe oh, I'll just pause there. <laughs> oh, interesting. I know uh, in researching you, uh, one of the other uh, economic factors that you expressed a lot of concern about is inflation. Uh, you you seem to think that uh, inflation is a massive problem that will continue for the foreseeable future, resulting in devaluation of the U.S. dollar. And uh, you explain that uh, you know current printing debt to GDP ratios that you were talking about, how governments uh, have crossed that GDP uh, Rubicon. Now that's a serious problem. Do you want to talk about that a little bit and how that also ties into um, uh, some of the environmental hysteria that we're hearing about so much in, in, in sort of in the public sphere? Sure. Um, it's, it's well documented that any country that goes beyond 120% to GDP eventually collapses. Um, and where, are we past that now? Are we past uh, that now? In, in the U.S., they did pass that point. At one point, they were around 134% of debt to GDP. Um, and, that, and that's the line, the, the, the Rubicon that you crossed. It, right. It's You can't back get back on side with that very easily. Um, the one exception um, that has not collapsed uh, out of the 54 examples that I looked at was Japan. Right. Um, their debt to GDP was well north of 230%. Yeah, Richard um, talked about that too. How do they manage that? Um, well, there's there's a couple of factors there. Um, they continue to print their currency. Um, what and you, you can look at it in a number of different ways as well, but they, they have a very big demographic problem as well, where the population is much older. Um, they've right. spent years and years saving. Um, and so they, they can effectively um, get away with devaluing the savings of, of their citizens. Right. Um, and if you know much about Japan, it's a fairly insulated uh, country where the citizens actually invest into the country. Um, so they're buying a lot of the bonds that, that the government is issuing. Um, so therefore, um, it truly is, they owe the debt to themselves um, in a lot of cases, whereas the U.S. is a much different scenario where of the 33.5 trillion in debt that they have, over 17 trillion is held by other countries. So um, about half of it's held by other countries like China, Japan, Saudi Arabia, that type of thing. Um, so in that case, you don't owe the debt to yourself. You actually have a creditor out there that is wanting to get paid interest and on, on their debt. Um, and back to the inflation problem is the world is slowly waking up to the fact that if the U.S. continues to pay back its debt in printed currency, the devaluation is going to continue of, of that dollar. So basically they, they look at their options and say, well, do I want to buy this U.S. debt where in 10 years time, it's going to be devalued at eight to 10% per year over the next 10 years. And recognizing that in inflation is the cause of that, where the yield on those partic that particular debt is only sitting at four or 5%. So it's a losing game. It's, it's, it's like buying something and understanding that 
it's going to devalue almost immediately. It's like driving a new car off the lot. And, and you, in, in the back of your mind, you might think you have an asset, but it's a depreciating asset. Right. One of the things that uh, many Canadians are concerned about, we talked about off the top of the show, is the security of their money. And there seems to be a number of different uh, stressors that are causing people to doubt uh, the, the security of their money. Obviously, during the pandemic, uh, the Canadian government did something unprecedented in terms of freezing private bank accounts. I know that uh, Bow Valley Credit Union was one of the ones who uh, refused to do that, wouldn't wouldn't engage in that, and bravo to you for that. Uh, also of great concern is this idea of digital currency and a global currency and a type of currency that has attached to it a social credit system. I know that uh, deep within the philosophy of Bow Valley Credit Union is resistance to the to those types of initiatives you want to talk about a little bit about that a little bit and and why that's an important part of bow valley credit union's approach to banking sure um probably better to start with what exactly a central bank digital currency is or a cbdc um a true central bank digital currency is where if you had a hundred dollars latent you would deposit it directly with an account with a central bank. So similar to now, um, you have a, an account with a financial institution. You go and you deposit your $100. It's an asset to you and it's a liability to the financial institution. Um, with the central bank digital currencies, there's largely not a need for the commercial banking sector. So you go directly to your account with the central bank. And as you can imagine, we have huge concerns with that just because of the controls that they can put in place with it. And I, I don't think it's necessarily fair to suggest that even today's governments would do something like this. But if there's the ability to do something in the future where you can basically con take control of people's finances, in the, in the future, it, it's a really big problem. And right. it, it could be a problem where um, th there may be benefits to it. Um, not that I'm a, an advocate for universal basic income, but if they wanted to inject liquidity into the system quickly, they could be able to do that with a central bank digital currency. Right. Um, but they could also do things like tax you daily. They could basically say, yo, you owe us tax every single day of the week. Or they could do something like put time limits on your money where you need to spend it by the end of the week, otherwise it disappears and becomes valueless. Or they could start using it for tracking purposes. Um, you, you go too many times to the gas station. Um, all of a sudden, that ability to pay for that product is gone. Um, you know, and, and all of a sudden, they have the ability to control social aspects of right. your life. And this is already and, happening in places like China, isn't it, Brad? Absolutely, it is. Um, yeah. You know, uh, where people have to give face scans before they can even get into the gas stations and things like that. Right, I've um, seen that. Yeah, or <laughs> I've seen a video where, you know, you scan your face to get toilet paper in, in public <laughs> washrooms and things like that. So it, it gets that ridiculous, but... It, th this is the type of world that that we're dealing with 
And um, I, I don't think that today's governments have the ability to create a central bank digital currency because I think it, it, it would just be too challenging. But it doesn't mean that they wouldn't try, especially with a financial institution as big as like RBC. They could right. basically dictate to say, okay, RBC is now the people's bank and everybody needs an account with RBC and that's your only banking institution. And they did this in Soviet Russia um, in, in the past. Mm -hmm. um, and, and just one further point on that is there, this has been thought of before, you know, th there's a really good reason why the central banks are separate from the commercial banks. And when I say commercial banks, I'm talking about a Bow Valley Credit Union, an RBC, a TD, a BMO, a Canadian Western Bank, all the different credit unions. So that's a commercial bank and they're distinct and separate from the central bank for good reason. And, and the main reason is so stuff like this doesn't happen where somebody gets power hungry and basically tries to take control of people's money and currency and, and direct them. Um, it's happened in the past. And the thing is that, as mentioned, I'm a, a study of history. Uh, it never turns out well. Right. Um, one of the things that's really fascinating and different about Bull Valley Credit Union, and correct me if this is wrong, but uh, it seems to be tied to something that we talk about a lot on this show, and that's freedom. In fact, uh, one of the proposals that um, I was involved in, in putting forward uh, to to the uh, to the UCP is uh, the idea of actually um, entrenching the concept of access to financial services as a fundamental human right in Alberta. And uh, it's sad that, that we would have to talk in these terms, but really there are a number of different threats, both domestic and global, to people's access to financial services and freedoms. And uh, Bow Valley is really at, at, the, at the core of this, aren't, aren't you? You're, you're, you're really focused on this. This is a big part of, of what Bow Valley Credit Union is all about is is access to financial services, you know, as as part of being a you know a free uh, a free individual in this country. Would, is that a fair assessment, or have I overstated the case? No, you're you're absolutely bang on. Um, and and this started uh, about two and a half years ago. And and during COVID, I think it's fair to say that any organization or any person, when they come under threat, they look at their value set. And right that's where you draw strength from. And uh, a lot of people, it's the church. It has a very strong value set. Um, for organizations, they take a look at their values as an organization and, and their directive as an organization. And so when we came under threat under COVID, we did the same thing as an organization. We looked at our value set and essentially we felt we were standing firm to our value set and i can give a number of examples to it but we are here to provide a financial service to our members and stop we're not here to give any political signaling we're not here to be racist we're not here to be misogynistic we're not here to uh, dis uh, discredit people because of their relig religion um, we are here to provide 
a financial service to our membership. And so under that umbrella, we first took a look at what they did around the health standards and basically said, you should ostracize these people because they're not wearing a mask or they don't believe in COVID or they don't believe in the vaccination or they don't believe in, in injecting a foreign substance to, into their body. Um, you should ostracize these people. And we take, took a look at that and said, no, that's not according to our value set as an organization. And so we're, we're pretty well known for basically making a stand for people's health rights and not forcing anybody to get vaccinated within our organization, which is very different from a lot of the financial institutions across Canada, specifically any OSFI regulated um, organizations. And so those are your bigger organizations. OSFI stands for the Office of Superintendent of Financial Institutions. And, and our, our good buddy, Christina Freeland, basically <laughs> for, forced all the OSFI regulated financial institutions to have their staff vaccinated. And, and we, we stood up and basically said, no, this is not right. This is a health choice and we don't have the authority nor uh, the, the wherewithal to make health decisions for our members or our staff. Right. So, um, uh, one, one of the examples of, uh, of, of how you, uh, how Bow Valley is different. One that I'm aware of is, uh, of course, people know I'm involved with the Alberta Prosperity Project. And uh, originally, we had our accounts with the Alberta Treasury branch. And uh, at a certain point, they decided that they were not going to do business with us because they didn't agree with the things that Alberta Prosperity stands for, which is basically freedom and prosperity for Albertans. Um, and it was Bow Valley Credit Union that stepped in the breach and, uh, you know, and, and took us on as a, as a client. I think people would be shocked that the Alberta Treasury branch, which strictly speaking is supposed to be owned by Albertans, actually has these entrenched political values and connected to the World Economic Forum, et cetera. But that's one example of where Bow Valley Credit Union is different in philosophy, but also in practice, right? Yeah, correct. And so Alberta, and this was a bit of a surprise to me as well, is Alberta Treasury Branch, ATB, follows considerably the guidance out of OSFI regulated financial institutions. And so um, they had basically their marching orders with, with the COVID mandates because they followed the guidance of OSFI. Um, similar to uh, anything that's outside of their risk profile is, is usually the way they term it. Um, we, we get letters even today um, from people that have been debanked from uh, financial institutions like ATB saying, suggesting that you're outside of their risk profile. Um, so in my mind, Alberta treasury branch should have stick, uh, stood up and, and for Albertans, especially right. over the last couple of years, but I, I found yeah. that they hadn't. Um, and I don't know the inner workings of ATB. Um, I, I suggest that they're probably getting their guidance from OSFI and Christina Freeland, um, and misguidance. what was <laughs> it, misguidance is a better yeah, term for it. Um, but what I found what was really interesting, especially during the Freedom Convoy, is 
when they decided that they were going to freeze any accounts related to the, the trucker convoy, the freedom convoy. Right. Um, that was a dark day. Sport. That was a dark day for Canada internationally. Like the world Absolutely. really stood up and took notice of that, didn't they? You know. Absolutely. And I, I, our organization, me specifically, stood up um, right out of the gates, probably within hours of, of them announcing this and basically sticking up our hand and saying, this is not right. right. You know, and I think people need to recognize that it's not necessarily today's government that you need to be concerned with. Maybe you completely agree with everything that the today's government has to say. Well, what right. happens if an individual gets into power that you don't agree with and precedent is set. <laughs> <laughs> well, exactly. Um, yeah. And uh, just, just back, back to that specific amp example, uh, we never received one email, one phone call, one letter suggesting you need to start freezing these people's accounts. Mm -hmm. And what was baffling to me is without any hesitation, ATB and some of the larger financial institutions just started, in my mind, arbitrarily freezing people's accounts. Um, no, no judgment, no jury, just basically, this is what we think, you're cut off, which is mm -hmm. just mm -hmm. astounding. And, and right. I, I absolutely agree with your motion coming forward of fundamentally making it a right of, well, not only Albertans, but all Canadians to have access to a bank account and, and not be frozen. Because we, we have people um, that come to us every day that cannot get financial services anywhere um, because right. of the fact, um, a case came up this morning actually where, where a mortgage broker was looking for a loan for um, their client and uh, they were declined three times. And it's because when they do a Google search, all of a sudden their reputation is tainted for some reason or another. Wow. Um, and, and it has nothing to do with credit. It has nothing to do with the ability to pay. It has nothing to do with equity. It just has somebody with political positioning out there on Google or, or Twitter or Facebook or something like that. So. Mm -hmm. No, that is, uh, that is really horrifying to people. And it, you know, it should be, I, I know there was a famous example of uh, Nigel Farage in Britain. You probably heard about uh, where he was completely debanked and he said it was like being erased. Fortunately, he's been able to resolve that situation, but you know, even somebody who, you know, who is as well healed as Mr. Farage, uh, you know, essentially canceled for his, his politics because he spearheaded the Brexit movement. Uh, but, you know, talking specifically about Bow Valley, um, uh, part of the philosophy I, I read when I was doing my research, it says that Bow Valley Credit Union uh, comes from the um, from a concern about potential economic downturns. And it says you've created a strategy to anchor part of your balance sheet with gold and that you believe this strategy provides an effective way to hedge against uh, tail risks, uh, such as a devaluation event that you talked about earlier. And so you encourage people to talk to their local credit union to push for change in order to protect their finances against inflation. And you also have written something called a white paper 
that people can access from the Bull Valley Credit Union website. I encourage people to read it. Um, I, I caution you, you won't understand it the first time you read it uh, uh, because, uh, you know, it's not that uh, Brett is trying to talk over your head, but I mean, he's, uh, you know, he's, he's quite brilliant in this sphere and he spent a lot of time there. So, but it's very clear that the white paper is written for, let's say, the average Joe, even even dumb lawyers like me. I could get the the essential uh, the essentials of it. But Brett, coming back to you, um, why is this uh, this aspect of gold having a gold backed uh, you know gold backed deposits? Why is this really key for you in terms of being a hedge against uh, against a, you know p- you know potential downturn events? Well, we're not quite gold-backed deposits, but I'll, I'll get to that piece yeah. there. But um, this this runs into that bit of history piece that we talked about earlier, back in two thousand eight, um, with with the constant currency printing, recognizing that that something was going wrong. If if you're an Austrian economist such as myself, I've never taken any formal training, which I, I consider a badge of honor, um, <laughs> but uh, you you can't get away with just constantly printing currency in the background uh, to fund uh, governments or or private enterprise uh, and and there's cases in history this happens over and over and over again throughout history um, where a currency becomes de-anchored from something um, like precious metals gold and silver and eventually you get to a place where exactly where we're at now the debt becomes overwhelming and we get into a place called fiscal dominance where they basically have to print the currency to pay for the debt um and really the way i i try and uh help people understand it is don't think of uh the the them printing currency as inflation think of it as your currency getting devalued um, and I have this this great um, um, picture that states in 1998 um, this is what $20 bought you and it, it's a grocery uh, cart full of you know goods from the grocery store and 10 years ago the, the grocery carts about half full and then today there's only two or three items in it so Incredible. you know that that's um, inflation at work, or as I like to say, it is devaluation of the, right. the currency. And that's only 25 years. Correct. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah, and I, think, time. I think it's fair to say anybody around our age has felt the pinch, um, especially over the last two or three years. And I talk about this in, in the paper is mm-hmm. at first when they really ramp up the currency printing presses it feels great you know if if you have assets so if you have stocks and if you have bonds and if you have your own home or or buildings or anything that's sort of a hard asset you're laughing and and i'm you know i felt the same way and it's like this is fantastic you know this is great but then you sort of have in the back of the mind somebody's got to pay the piper at the right. end of the day. And th- this is exactly what's happening now is people that felt felt rich um, two or three years ago are now now feeling the pinch. Um, yeah. and, and it's really 
crushing the middle class. And I'm, I'm not trying to degrade anybody's financial position, but during times like this, um, people that are on the low end of the income spectrum are usually protected because they have inflation adjusted um, income coming in. People right. at the upper end in, in the high levels of, of income brackets don't feel it because they can easily pay for the common goods that you need to pay for gas, uh, electricity, right. food, no problem. It's the mid- middle class that really gets crushed. And so right. it, it's say 60 to 70% of the population that just gets run over with, with inflation mm-hmm. in this case. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we looked at all this and wanted to be able to come up with a solution to be able to protect uh, not only our, our membership, but our organization of what we see is an inevitable devaluation of the currency going forward. Because as mentioned in, in previously, this fiscal dominance position is very, very difficult to get out of. And so that's right. why I see um, inflation continuing on going into the future and people need to be able to prepare to protect themselves against it. And yeah. so we, we have a number of things that, that we're working on or are in place right now. So we have uh, a third party gold and silver provider that can help uh, people purchase precious metals at a discount through our organization. Um, and the reason why we do that is gold and silver have been known throughout history to protect against. Um, so this is, this is BVCU. This is BVCU gold, right? It's one of the products that you, that you offer uh, through, through BVU, right? That's the, yeah. So it's, yeah. Um, we've, we've had the retail product and we have a partnership with silver gold bull, um, um, that are based out of Calgary. Um, yeah. and they, they provide, um, gold and silver and other precious metal sales as, as well as storage. Um, and you can get discounts because of our partnership. We're considered a wholesale partner with them. Um, we're in the very late throes of, of coming up with a product where you can actually lend again, uh, against your, your precious metals holdings. So most people that purchase precious metals um, have the wherewithal that it, it's a long-term investment and do not want to sell them. Um, right. But they may need access to cash in mm-hmm. short-term periods, so you can actually lend against your, your products. Mm-hmm. Um, we're also working on a product where you can put your fiat currency, so your regular Canadian dollars, into an account. And if the price of gold or silver goes up, you could you take advantage of that deposit going up in value to protect against that um, inflation problem with confidence that your principal is secured. So these are the types of things that, that we're working on and, and we're constantly evolving our products around uh, gold and silver and precious metals. And, and the intention is to help protect our membership against the devaluation of the currency. You, um, you've had some you've had some resistance though in trying to institute this, haven't you? In, in terms of the the bank regulators, this is going against the grain. Uh, do you want to talk about a little bit about why that why you think that is, uh, and and how you've uh, how you've sort of worked around? That? I know you've been working very hard to develop a new strategy to kind of get around this this regulation impediment. Yeah, f- for sure, and and 
I, I would say we have a, a third place right now. There's there's things that could be much better for for organization and individuals. We weren't allowed to go down those avenues, and I can sort of get into that. But firstly, why do they seem to have such an opposition to precious metals? Yeah, gold and silver? great question. Um, I think it's because they recognize that it it's kryptonite to the printing press, and so uh, yeah. it completely takes away political power if you have the lack of ability to fire up the printing presses. Um, right. You basically cannot get into nearly as much trouble with debt if you can't fire up a printing press. Um, so they can continue on their merry way and do their pet projects and pretend life is wonderful and that type of thing. Um, but if it was anchored to something like precious metals, gold and silver, all of a sudden you have to face reality. And I'm of the opinion that many of today's problems are stemmed from the fact that it's our currency and the Western world's currencies are not anchored to something tangible and something real like gold or right. silver or other precious metals. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, this is just an opinion of a, a banker and an accountant, but if you get away from that ability to basically live beyond your means, all of a sudden a lot of problems get sorted out. Um, mm-hmm. I have this great chart which shows the inflation basically going up and to the right at a 45 degree angle uh, for cost, but people's wages have not kept up nearly as, as quickly. And, and we've probably seen that even just in our lifetimes where our parents' generation were in a much better position than, than we were. Right. And mm-hmm. having very, you know, common jobs, um, things today that can barely make ends meet with, with jobs. Um, but people were able to make a living on a single salary and have a home and kids and two cars in the driveway and that type of thing. That's just not the case anymore. Um, and really that's the difference between inflation taking off and wages have not kept up with 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 that inflation so therefore that's that concept of the middle class getting ground down again um, where previous generations could have a job that's adequately paid to to um, make a living is no longer available for people anymore if governments were forced to tether uh, their currency to something tangible like gold or silver or precious metals where they couldn't get away with this inflation or the devaluation of the currency, all of a sudden it puts everybody on equal footing and businesses wouldn't have to be forced to grind their staff into a pulp when, when it comes to pay raise time where you know they're, they're trying to make margins and keep ups as well. And so, oh, well, sorry, we can only give a 2% raise this year, even though inflation's running at seven and that type of thing. So Mm -hmm. if currency was grounded to something tangible, this wouldn't happen. And I'm I'm not suggesting that gold or silver are the end all be all because there's there's problems even with that system because it's a a man-made system and any man-made system will have flaws. 
So, but the thing is, that's what it says in the book of Genesis. <laughs> so <laughs> it's been true for throughout human history. Yes, absolutely. Exactly. Right. You know, we're, we're just, just vessels doing our best. Right. Right. Um, yeah. And, but the thing is, history dictates this has happened time and time again. You'd think we'd learn from our lessons, but we just don't. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, one of the things that you talk about in your what you talk about a lot of things in your white paper, uh, Brett, but you talk about something called FinTrack and you call for a change in Alberta legislation uh, to sort of uh, prevent uh, or to protect Alberta lending institutions like Bow Valley from FinTrack. What is FinTrack and why is it so important uh, or why is it such a threat to the to the security of of, of Albertans and their and their access to financial services. So FinTrack is basically, if you want to think of it, it's it's basically anti money laundering, um, an act around anti money laundering. And interestingly enough, it it came up in twenty twenty or sorry two thousand the year two thousand, um, and it was designed to prevent basically terrorist activity from happening. And, and right. it came out very quickly after the 9-11 attacks, which um, I don't know, connect the dots on that, whether they had a plan to roll out or not. <laughs> it's um, been suggested. <laughs> I think uh, most recently Vivek Ramaswamy had a theory about that, that he was pilloried over. Uh, but anyway. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I'm, I'm trying not to be a conspiracy theorist. Um, and... So it came out with the intention of blocking um, terrorists. And, and it's, it's interesting how they always come up with these grand plans. And it's for the safety and security of the general public. Um, and so FinTrack in itself is, is a fairly blunt instrument. And, and I'm sure your audience has come across this a few times. When you go to a financial institution and you have, you have a bunch of cash, maybe you sold um, a car or something like that, or you go in to take some cash out, maybe you're buying a car or something like that. And then you get the questions. Where'd this money come from? What are you doing with it? Oh, uh, you know, and, and, and that were legislated by law um, from the federal level to ask. And, and basically what we do is document that. And if it's over a certain threshold, um, then we have to report it. Um, and this is the tool that they used during the Freedom Convoy, Trucker Convoy, to freeze people's accounts. And so basically, right. there's within legislation, it, it dictates that um, if there's any suspicion of um, you know, terrorist activity or, or whatever it is, then you have to report it. Um, and you'll notice that the Trudeau government was very quick to call um, the truckers terrorists. Right. Um, and, and this is the reason why, is because they could use this legislation to basically ah, freeze, freeze accounts. Mm -hmm. And this um, seems to be the tool that the Liberal government, specifically Christina Freeland, is using against the, the general population because in the March 2023 budget, 
they announced millions of dollars going towards FinTrack and, and they're putting it towards um, better crime investigation, um, better coordination between uh, public officials and, and, and uh, FinTrack. Um, probably the most scary thing that they're looking at is, is really adding an AI component, an artificial intelligence right. component to it. So this FinTrack tool all of a sudden gets turned from a very blunt instrument into a scalpel-like tool where they can basically carve out people if, if they so wish. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I, they, I think they did us a very big favor. Um, I'm not being, (laughs) um, sarcastic when I see this, when they basically tipped their hand, um, and, and showed what their end game was to be able to do with this tool. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so our objective was to try from the political route of, of basically insulating Albertans specifically, um, against FinTrack. And, and the, the way we pitched it was basically you, you don't have the ability to freeze people's accounts unless it's legally allowed to do it. And, and I would suggest, and, and you're the lawyer in the room that, anything that they did around the, the freedom convoy freezing of accounts was not legal. Right. Um, and so that's, that's really the only intention that we're after part, yeah. part of the challenge is um, you would have to come up with a whole new set of, of rules for Alberta specifically. And um, when I worked in the Cayman islands, I was an investment banker in the Cayman islands. There were countries that were on the list. Um, and, and that was sort of the black bald list where you're, you're basically not supposed to deal with them with any sorts of business, you know, North right, Korea yeah. would, would be on yeah. that list and that type of thing. And so we have to be cognizant that we don't want Alberta on the list type thing and, and right. be able to create our own regulatory, uh, laws that, that allow us to basically transact internationally, but still, make it to a point of freedoms and exactly what you're talking about, making it a human mm-hmm. right to, to uh, get access to banking services. Yeah. So what, yeah. one of the fears that people have, uh, Brett, is that I mentioned this off the top of the show, that there's an agenda to eliminate the whole concept of cash, cash money that our economy is, has really functioned on for a very long time. You know, money talks, BS walks, right? Uh, is that, do you think there is an agenda to remove cash, uh, from, from our economic system, uh, and replace it with a did totally with the digital currency? Or do you think that's a, that's a paranoia or an overreaction? No, I, I think it's absolutely bang on. Um, uh, whoever came up with the, the, the COVID, um, agenda was very, very crafty because, Interestingly enough, they talked about very early on in of, of, oh, don't use cash. It's very dirty. You know, it can carry COVID yeah. and things like that. Yeah. Um, ironically, cash use went up during COVID instead of down. So it kind of backfired on, on that end. But the, the same, um, the, the Bank of Canada has made it quite clear that they will keep physical cash in circulation if they wanted if people wanted it. Um, in, in May of 2023, they came out with a survey basically asking Canadians how they, um, felt about 
central bank digital currency CBDCs. Um, I'm pretty sure their response was overall very, very negative towards it. Um, we, we posted a paper on our website um, and basically saying this, this is how things could get very wrong with the central bank digital currency, exactly what you're talking about, getting rid of cash. Um, right. And uh, for people to fully utilize the comment section of, of this survey, um, because the, the survey was very skewed towards this is coming, um, how would you use it type thing, um, mm-hmm. which, which was very one-sided, I thought. Uh, I'm a big proponent of continuing to use cash. Um, and the reason being because a, a central bank digital currency doesn't work unless you have two sides to it. You need not only the, the central bank or, or a vessel like RBC acting as the, the central bank, but you also need businesses on the other side to cooperate, right? So if you go down to your local convenience store and they're not, they don't care that, you know, you bought a, a package of hamburger or that you bought, this is your third tank of gas this week and things like that, and they're not reporting it to anybody, then the information is just not there. And so it, it takes two to tango. And if nobody is paying with this digital currency and everybody's paying with cash, not only will the businesses recognize that, hey, I better keep cash in circulation, but they won't be able to track it nearly as easily either. So Uh, coming back to to BVU, I think it's important to mention, uh, you know, some of the guiding principles uh, that you that you operate under. And these are mentioned on your website. I caught I want to mention these to people. Voluntary and open membership. You've talked about that. Democratic member control, uh, member economic participation, autonomy and independence education, training, and information, cooperation uh, among cooperatives, and concern for community. So really, it's not, BVU is more than just a bank. Uh, It's really, it's a full service, uh, you know, financial institution. In fact, in addition to the whole gold piece, uh, the gold investment piece you offer, you also are a full service brokerage. So really, um, you you know, you can meet almost any, any, any financial need that need that people have. And also, uh, you have this unique, uh, or at least as far as I know, really unique um, approach in terms of um, empowering members, being responsive to members, as opposed to what people experience most often with banks, which is this top-down experience where you know that some some Uber executive or or government minister can freeze their accounts. So really, um, you, you've carved out a very unique space in the banking world, haven't you? You're doing a great sales pitch, Layton. Let me tell you for me. So, well, having you on here, I want people to know. I want people to know what you're doing, and I've also yeah. done my research. You know, I didn't just come on here and say, so, "Brett, tell me about Bow Valley Credit." <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's one of the bigger differences of of um, credit unions in general, not necessarily just Bow Valley Credit Unions. We're we're locally based, so all our staff are in Alberta. We have a vested interest in Alberta. Um, all our members purchase from $25 to 5,000 common shares um, within our organization. We pay profit share uh, with that. But not only do you get sort of the profit share, you also are a voting member 
of the organization. And, and I think a lot of your audience will appreciate that we are a grassroots organization right. where um, we don't have to go to Toronto to get a decision made and that type of thing. It's one yeah. member, one vote. Um, it's, it's for, it's a true democracy of, of an organization where, um, if you're a member of the organization, you can apply to even be a board member of the organization right. and you vote really? for board members. Um, so the board members are ultimately responsible for the direction of, of the organization. And, and, you know, a lot of the things that, that we've worked through the past couple of years is, uh, ensuring that our board and, and staff are of that freedom mindset. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's very important to us. And it's, it's a big part of how we're expanding as an organization as well. Yes. Because, you're really growing, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and a, a great story behind it. Um, way back in the day in, in Quebec, um, the English speaking community was very much in charge of banking. In, in Quebec, and to the point where they wouldn't give any lending to the French-speaking people. Right. And so basically what the French-speaking people did said, to heck with you, and came together with a value-based organization um, and created a financial institution a- around that. Yeah. Um, right. And I get const- asked, asked constantly is, how do you create a financial institution? And I'm just like, you've got it. You, you just have to basically become a member of it if you're interested in freedoms. And so yeah. that organization in Quebec is has 7 million members, the lion's share of the assets in Quebec, and it's Desjardins right. to the point where they have a huge amount of political sway as well as they have their own act. So there's actually a Desjardins yeah. act. And they're in the insurance Quebec. world now too, aren't they? They've, they even have an insurance aspect to that business, right? Correct. Correct. Yeah. And so that's that's what I always say to people. If, if, if you're a freedom, liberty mindset, entrepreneurial spirit, uh, spirit, responsibility, come join our organization and you can buy into this structure that's already created. And, and then as a voting member, you can control the direction of the organization as well. And, and I think we'd all agree that... We, the days of being passive with with voting and, and not getting involved are gone. We yes. have to continue to be vigilant um, on a political level and at all levels um, to, to ensure that organizations are sticking up for our value sets. Um, and so we've actively put out criteria because we understand that people want physical locations within their regions. And we put the criteria around um, 200 members, 25 million in deposits, and a million dollars in capital. And the capital's the, the piece that you buy into the organization with, with the common shares and get paid a dividend on. Um, and it helps us put a location uh, physically in, in your community yeah. and uh, help grow this. Because effectively, we want to be able to, and we think that there's legs enough to, to make Bow Valley Credit Union prov- provincially wide and have political, significant political sway like they do in Quebec. Um, yeah. That's a better sales pitch than mine was, Brad. I've, I've even heard a rumor that there might even be a mobile branch, but I don't want to let the cat out of the bag here. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, this we, is... <laughs> we, are, we are working on a, a true mobile branch. You know, you may see mo- mobile yeah. and pick up your phone and go, well, that's, that's yeah. your, your mobile yeah. solution. But 
we're, we're looking at a physically moving branch. Um, that, yes, that I've seen the, I've seen the, <laughs> I've seen the theoretical, uh, <laughs> and uh, it looks great. I mean, and I hope it, I hope it comes off. Anyway, this has been uh, a wonderful conversation. So informative. Really, really grateful for your time and your, and your wisdom. Um, this is a part of the show that I told you about off the top that we would be wrapping up with something we call the reading list. So I'm going to be asking you for a selection or two of your own. I've got a couple of books here that uh, you've probably read uh, already because I know you do read a lot in this in this space. But uh, one of the books that I've got on our list for today is called The Digital Banking Revolution, How Financial Technology Companies Are Rapidly Transforming the Traditional Retail Banking Industry Through Disruptive Innovation. This book was published some years ago. It back, goes back to December of 2016. But um, the description is that over the past decade, uh, financial service innovations have contributed to a completely new way in which customers can bank, threatening the status quo of traditional retail banks and redefining a banking model that has been in place for generations, which our guest has talked about a lot today. So I found this book to be somewhat prescient in that it uh, it sort of uh, was picking up in a, in a, on some of the trends that we've seen unfold and which were vastly accelerated during the COVID-19 pandemic, as Brett has said. So I found that to be a very interesting book and uh, it's written uh, really for people who are not uh, bankers, uh, which I appreciated. The second book is called The Oligarch's Grip, Oligarch's Grip, Fusing Wealth and Power. This is a more recent book uh, that, that um, is, a, is more talking about this global uh, situation that Brett has mentioned, where today more than 20 oligarchs serve as heads of state or government in countries uh, such as Russia, South Africa, Lebanon, El Salvador, and other countries. Uh, many have net worth in excess of $1 billion and they all, whether directly or indirectly, impact our daily lives. And this book explains how uh, these oligarchs exert considerable influence over banking systems, financial systems, uh, in ways that uh, many of us would not imagine, but which technology is making increasingly uh, possible. And this is all of this is encroaching upon the freedom that we enjoy, or that we once enjoyed, and that we want to continue to enjoy, or at least restore. Uh, in Alberta and in our country. So those are the two selections that I'm adding to our reading list today. And so I'll turn it over to our guest and ask him if he has uh, a couple of ideas about books or other resources that he would suggest to our viewers uh, to sort of expand their their knowledge base on the topics that he's been uh, he's been talking to us about today. Yeah, probably bar none. Um, one one of the best reads uh, that that I've had in the last few years, which funny enough, I've been thinking and talking about this stuff for years, you know, from, from 2008. And this book basically puts it all in a nice, neat package. And, <laughs> and I wish I would have had this book 20 years ago. But it's uh, The Creature from Jekyll Island by, by Ed Griffin is just a fantastic summary of where central banks uh, come from, how they develop, um, along your oligarchs piece, uh, this, this is a U.S. centric, uh, book, but I, I think it, there is a ton of parallels to Canada and, and the rest of the world of how they set up central banks and, and basically, um, put 
it on the backs of the citizens, uh, any problems that, that they might run into. So the creature of Jekyll Island. Another one is not a banking one, but it, it's, it's about mental toughness. Um, it, it's a, it's a great read. Uh, can't hurt me by David Goggins is, is a fantastic. Oh one. yes. Um, that's a, um, that's a great book. Yes. It's on our reading list already, but yeah, what an incredibly inspiring, uh, person he is. Mm-hmm. No. And, and yeah, I got I, that. I don't stray much from the financial macroeconomic world. So I thought I'd throw one in there. But. Oh, that's brilliant. Well, thanks uh, so much for being with us today, Brent. It's been our absolute uh, pleasure having some of your time and, uh, you know, you sharing your, your knowledge and wisdom. And I hope that it's inspiring to the people who have caught this, who are, you know, are concerned about their, their financial security and, and to just to know that somebody like you is out there uh, who's is trying to make a difference in the financial world. Um, and, 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 and also hopefully we've, we've, uh, we've sort of spread the word about BVU and all of the incredible products and services that you provide there. Uh, so, and we, so we thank you for being with us today and also wish you much continued success in all of the work that you're doing. Uh, so thanks well, very much for being our special guest here today. Well, absolutely. Thanks for having me. You know, we recognize that we're just a s- small sliver of, of the, the massive problem that's out there, political, legal, education, healthcare, but uh, you know, financial uh, stress can be considerable. And uh, if, if you have uh, an organization that's uh, on your side, it can definitely make, make a big difference. So thank right. you for having well, me. Thank, well, thanks again, Brett. It's been our real pleasure to have you as our special guest today on Gray Matter. You bet. Thank you.